again, it's good to be with you. And uh, again, I express my appreciation for uh, you welcoming Cheryl and me in uh, such a great way. Uh, and it's exciting to know what you have planned for the summer, uh, some of the things in the bulletin, and as I've talked with different people, so it seems like this is time, a time of year when you're starting into sort of a new period of the year. And uh, we'll pray for your young people, some of them as they go down to Echo and a lot of the other things that are going on. And sorry, the movie's canceled and I can't stay for that this week. That'd be fun too, but that's a great, great thing just to be out where people can see you. And I don't know what the movie's going to be or anything in the future, but uh, we, we have done that a couple times in places that I have been, the same thing. So, um, so thank you again for having us. And uh, if you'll turn now to Psalm 94 in, your, in the Bible, please do that. Psalm 94, and we'll read that in just a moment. I'll just take a second as you're finding Psalm 94 to brevi- uh, briefly uh, remind you of the previous sermons that we had uh, while I was here, this, a series using the word, O oh, you are our God. And then we thought uh, the second sermon about our Savior, prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ, our great commission that our Lord Jesus has given us. And then we thought about our hearts and how important it is that, first of all, they be changed by the Holy Spirit in order for us to believe and come to Christ, but then that there continue to be changes of the heart that uh, are necessary in our lives and that we're thankful for God to, to work in our lives. Uh, this morning we thought about our church, and our subject tonight is our Lord. Uh, we considered our, When we considered our God earlier, we meditated on three of his attributes, mercy, might, and magnanimity. In Psalm 94, which we're about to read, uh, we're reminded uh, more of, of more of our Lord's characteristics, uh, some of which I trust we will be especially uh, needing, needing tonight, or especially be helpful to us tonight as we uh, look at Psalm 94. A fuller title of tonight's sermon, I think I wanted to have our and everything, our church, our uh, Lord, and so forth, but I wanted to also draw out what uh, what's there. Uh, and so tonight, um, our title is a little broader than that, Our Lord Will Not Forsake His People. And that's taken uh, from verse 14 in the psalm. It's, it's also the title in the uh, ESV version of the Bible, which I'm reading from, The Lord Will Not Forsake His People. And that's really a good summary of uh, the key idea in the psalm. So we'll come back to that, especially some in the sermon. And there's also another verse I want you to notice as we read, we'll look at the whole psalm, but verse 14, for the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage, keep that in mind. And then look at verse 19, because we'll be talking a little more about that too when we come to it. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. That's verse 19. Uh, As a result of our study tonight, I pray that every one of us will be able to sing along with the psalmist in verse 19 when he says, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And I pray that we also may be able to declare with confidence, verse 14, the Lord does not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. So let's read. Psalm 94, all 23 verses. O Lord God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. 
repay the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nation, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? those who frame injustice by statute. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for, all, for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Please keep your Bible open and use the outline that's provided for you. This psalm uh, begins with a prayer to God in the first seven verses. Look at those again. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. The writer is appealing to the Lord on the basis of his righteous nature to judge the wicked here on earth. God says in his word, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Paul uses that in Romans 12.10 to warn us not to take vengeance, but the quote is from Deuteronomy 32.35, and the psalmist is asking God to to just do that, to take vengeance, to repay to the proud what they deserve. He goes on in verse 3 and following saying, O Lord, how long, how long, Will the wicked exalt in their sins? How long will they boast with arrogant words, crush your people, afflict your heritage? They commit acts of cruelty against the widow, the stranger, and the fatherless. These were the disadvantaged poor and weak members of society. And also describe the poor in spirit. Those who are Christians, meek, who love the Lord and often are persecuted for their faith. In verse 7, the wicked are pictured 
these wicked who commit these crimes are pictured as saying, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. In other words, either they believe that God does not exist at all, or they think that he won't judge their sinful actions, but he will. The psalm may be speaking of wicked Israelite people, those within the community of Israel who were hypocritical in their professed faith and sinning against the Lord and at others. Or it could be that the psalm is, is talking more about the nations surrounding Israel who had other pagan gods and who also attacked at times and persecuted the people of God. No matter which of these groups the words are addressed to, Notice that the psalm speaks of God not in a general way, although that word God is used here but in, in places, but of the Lord, which is Jehovah or Yahweh. Verse 7, the God of Jacob. Uh, verse 23 down there says, our God. In other words, the judge of all nations and peoples, whether they believe it or not and whether they like it or not, is the one living and true God, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as revealed in the Bible. This is the judge of all the earth, and this is the one to whom the writer is appealing. So let me ask you this evening, can you identify with uh, the writer's sentiments in this psalm, in these first seven verses? Do you ever feel this way? Uh, How long, Lord? And do you want... God to come down and, and, and punish those who do these evil things that are talked about. Perhaps uh, uh, we wrestle with this some, and perhaps uh, we've had trouble at times singing imprecatory psalms, psalms that call down curses and judgment on wicked people. That's fairly unusual in the church at large, but it comes up often in the psalms. Well, I once heard of a Westerner who attended a conference with Christians from Africa, and I think it was a conference about the Psalms, and he was at first surprised that many of the Africans very much appreciated these imprecatory Psalms. When the Westerner, however, learned more about the tribal warfare, which had plagued that continent for many years, and the death and the carnage and the loss of loved ones, He understood better why the Africans identified with these psalms and realized that they have a purpose in the psalm book and a place in Christian worship. And so today, in our day, perhaps in light of the Russian attack on the Ukraine and many other terrible things that are going on in our world, maybe we here living in a relatively peaceful place for a long time in America have come to a better understanding of this also. God is a God of mercy who forgives those who repent and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. But as Exodus 34 says, where God revealed himself to Moses, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He forgives those who repent and trust in Christ, but he by no means lets the guilty go unpunished. He's a God of justice also. Hiding under the protective wings of the Lord Jesus Christ, we Christians do pray and ask God to judge those who oppress, those who kill, those who harm, those who wage unjust war, those who persecute believers, those who deny religious freedom, 
those who take advantage of the poor and the needy. At the same time, whenever we find ourselves, ourselves in violation of God's law, it's incumbent on us to repent as well. Well, having made his prayer to God in verses 1 through 7, the psalmist uh, begins to speak God's truth and answer some of his own questions as he goes in the next verses by reminding us of four aspects of the Lord's nature and the Lord's work, his knowledge, his discipline, the Lord's help, and the Lord's judgment. Let's look at each of these as we go through the psalm. The Lord's knowledge, first of all, in verses 8 through 11. As he had indicated in verse 7, these evildoers were either saying out loud or imagining in their hearts that the Lord was unaware of their wicked deeds. But look at what he says in verse 8. In effect, he says to them, to these people who think God doesn't see, he says, he really is saying, really? (laughs) Really? You think the God who made all of mankind doesn't know what's going on here on earth where mankind is? You must be the dullest of people. How foolish. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? God who formed the eye, doesn't he see what's going on here on earth? He who disciplines, will he not, and the nations, will he not discipline you, rebuke you? No, your time is coming, the psalmist says in verses 8 through 11. The one who gave man his mind and teaches him knowledge, he certainly knows what's going on down here on earth where he has placed human beings. He understands, verse 11, their thoughts and plans, and all those plans will come to nothing when that person dies. They are futile attempts This wickedness are futile attempts to thwart the ordinances of God. And all actions will eventually come to naught. They will die with the person who commits them. You will die, O wicked ones, and be no more. God knows what you're doing, and he will punish you severely. Sometimes we feel like uh, evil goes on and on, or particularly we may feel like an evil person remains in power for years and years, and we wonder, how long, Lord? And yet, there are times, and particularly in Scripture, we're reminded that there are times when God in his providence very quickly and very efficiently and suddenly does away with a wicked man. Think of Nabal in 1 Samuel 25, the one who wouldn't uh, help David, God's anointed but despised him. He was, he was struck dead, Haman, struck with a sickness and then died. Haman, think of Haman, who was going to have Mordecai hanged and ended up being hanged on his own gallows as gallows as things suddenly turned against him so surprisingly and so suddenly. I think of Herod, who was persecuting the church in Acts 12 and proudly was standing for people, and he was also taken quickly by the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 35 and 36 says, I have seen a violent, wicked man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in his native soil. Then he passed away, and he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. That psalm goes on, Psalm 37, to say, Mark the blameless man in contrast to the wicked man, and behold the upright 
for the man of peace will have prosperity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. The writer speaks about God's knowledge. And then in verses 12 through 15, he moves on to the Lord's discipline. He's assured us that God knows what is going on and that God will judge sinners righteously. Perhaps we're surprised by verse 12 when he starts with himself. Look at what he says there. Blessed is the man who you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. And so as he's calling for judgment on the wicked, he actually starts with himself, you might say. He realizes that the Lord needs to discipline him at times. The Lord knows the writer's sin, but he says, blessed is the man who you discipline and whom you teach out of your law. In many Psalms where the righteous complain of the sins and persecution committed by the wicked, the righteous one writing the Psalm acknowledges his own sin, confesses that some of the problems that the righteous are facing are self-inflicted. For example, in Psalm 38, David says, for thine, arrows have struck, for thine arrows have sunk deep into me, and thy hand is pressed down on me. There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine indignation, David says. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. And in that Psalm, Psalm 38, David goes on to speak out against his enemies, to decry those who seek his life, those who lay snares and plot treachery against him. He asks for God's protection from these people because they are vicious and vigorous and mighty and they hate him wrongfully. But he doesn't deny that he himself, although seeking to follow God, still falls into sin. Like David in Psalm 38 and like the writer of this psalm in verse 12, we should be thankful that the Lord does discipline us, that he doesn't just let the righteous go on in their sins. Blessed is the man that you discipline, Lord, and him you, whom you teach out of your law. We generally understand punishment to be retributive, to be retributive, anyways, you know, to pay you back. A payment back for wrong, while we think of discipline as reformation. So punishment, we usually see a judge coming down and paying one back for the wrong they've done. This is a punishment. But uh, in discipline, we see it more as a reforming, a pur- the purpose being reforming. Jesus has taken the punishment for our sins as Christians. We no longer need to fear damnation. However, when we sin as Christians, we often experience God's fatherly discipline. And that is a blessing. In which situation do you and I want to be? Receiving punishment from a judge who does not know you or a compassionate spanking from one who loves you dearly and longs for you to stay on the straight path for your own good? I think we know the answer. Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves the one he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights.
God is like a loving father, and he disciplines us for our good. Having recognized then in verse 12 that as a child of God, the psalmist receives discipline in measure and for his good, in verses 13 through 15, he goes on to speak of other blessings of being a child of God. To give God, the Lord gives him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. God gives the righteous rest in a sense. Uh, I think in a sense sometimes the waves of judgment can pass over him and as the righteous uh, people follow the Lord, they find that they have rest and peace in the midst of some of the things that are going on. But especially uh, they get rest in the day of trouble, the day of judgment, when the wicked are thrown into the pit, the pit of hell. But those serving Christ are saved. The Lord, as it says in verse uh, 14, the one of our key verses here, the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. No matter what is going on or what happens to you and me as Christians, God will not forsake us. And God will not abandon his people, both singular and plural we pick up there, the people in general and individual Christians. Justice will be done in the end, and those who are truly upright in heart will follow righteousness. Even during that time of evil, they will uh, go towards righteousness, and righteousness will be proved in the end to be the right way. So we recognize when we pray for justice and judgment on sinners, if it were not for the fact that we're by faith covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiven by the mercy of God, uh, we would be calling down judgment on ourselves, wouldn't we? But at the same time, this fact gives us hope even for the godless ones on whom we are praying God's vengeance. The Bible says all of us have gone astray all of us have turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him, both those who are now trusting in Christ and those who may come someday to repentance and faith, even the most wicked of people that you and I can think of. Paul said, God showed grace to me, one who was persecuting Christians, in order that he would prove to others that all can be saved. Any can be saved. Ephesians 2 says, We all once were dead in trespasses and sins. We all once walked according to the course of this wicked world. We all followed the sinful desires of our hearts and were all under God's wrath. If he had mercy on all of us, then he can have mercy on all who repent and believe. In verses 16 through 19, we see the writer turn the subject of God's help. God stands up against the evildoers. If it weren't for him, we would have no hope. We too would go to the land of silence. Verse 16, he, who rises for me against the wicked? Who stands for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. And so then the Lord, in, or the writer in verses 18 and 19, tells how the Lord helped him in a particular situation. Even when he thought he was about to fall, the Lord helped him with his steadfast love. He says there, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. 
And then another verse that I want to focus on, verse 19. When the cares of my heart, when, my, when, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Verse 19. This verse uh, was one that was first called to my attention uh, when I was, I believe, in high school. And I read an article in a magazine about uh, a woman, I'll go ahead and name her, uh, Carolyn Chestnut Homa, who is now uh, Carolyn Copeland. Carolyn Chestnut Homa, who at that time had been recently widowed as a young wife of a man named Ron Homa, a dynamic Christian and missionary to to, to Cyprus. as much as I knew about him, and I knew a little bit about this man, Ron Homa, he was a man who, who was not raised in a Christian family, and he came to Christ in just a very dramatic and wonderful way. And when he came to Christ, he just was sold out uh, to the Lord. And he, everywhere he went, he affected people uh, with his witness, both of life and word. And uh, it wasn't long before he felt a call to go to Cyprus where the Reformed Presbyterian Church had a mission work. And he was married to uh, Carolyn Chestnut. And not too long after he was out there in Cyprus, just as he was beginning his work, he was struck with cancer. And I can't remember exactly the kind of cancer it was, but it took his life very quickly and uh, left this young woman, Carolyn, as a widow. And uh, so she was the one writing this article uh, not too long after the death of her husband. A few of us maybe have experienced such a great crisis and such a terrible loss as she did uh, in losing a a loved one that early in a marriage. And, uh, And also it was the kind of thing where the church just wondered, why take this man? Why take this man out of the world when... He was so young and had been so effective and used by God. Yet the article which uh, she wrote while being honest about the pain was filled with amazing expressions of peace and rest in the Lord. And since that time long ago, Carolyn has been remarried to a godly man and they have been blessed with four or five children, numerous grandchildren, and she served the Lord well with her family. God has done amazing things for her, but it was before those things happened that she was able, in the midst of hardship and heartache and her her heart being filled with many cares, and can you imagine all the cares that she would have had, but she was able to find consolations from the Lord which cheered her. And surprisingly enough, she found them in this gem of a verse in the midst of this psalm of judgment. In recent days, maybe some of our hearts have been greatly weighed down by the things going on in our world, the state of our nation, the state of our broader church, the suffering maybe just of yourself or your own family and friends, or just the heavy burden of sorrow that you as a Christian may carry for a lost and dying world. And so this psalm, in particularly these two verses, reminds us of these two things. In verse 14, the Lord will not forsake his people. And in verse 19, when the cares of your hearts are many, 
the Lord's consolations can cheer you up. Just as the Lord did not forsake Mrs. Copeland, and just as he gave her consolation in the midst of sorrow, so he will do for each one of us, his children. God's knowledge, the writer speaks about. God's discipline of the righteous. God's help in time of trouble. The writers reminded us of all three of these. And now at the end of the psalm, in verses 20 through 23, he comes back to where he started to answer some of his own questions which he'd posed to God. O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. How long, O Lord? And he speaks lastly of the Lord's judgment. He comes back to that in verses 20 through 23. Can wicked rulers serve God's cause? No, they are not God's allies. They would destroy the righteous and condemn the innocent people to death. Their day is coming. But until that day, God, the Lord will be the stronghold of his people. He's your rock. He's your refuge if you belong to him. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. And he will bring judgment on the wicked. He will bring his saved people to glory, but he will judge those who rebel against him and continue in their rebellion. He will bring back on them their own iniquity like a returning wave and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. So tonight, uh, I encourage you, having looked at this psalm with me, to just remember a few things that the psalms are given to us. I may not be able to write these down. I'm just going to say six things very quickly. But just to review some of what we've seen, verses 8 and 9, the Lord does see and know what's going on in our world as was so dramatically said in those verses. The Lord does discipline you and I for our sins, for our good, and because he loves us. Verse 12. Verse 15. Justice will win out in the end, so don't stop obeying God. Don't go along with the righteous, with the wicked. Hang on with the righteous. Even, verse 19, when you have cares and worries and you think there's no way out, look to the Lord not only for answers for the future, but for cheer in the midst of your sorrows. He will give it to you. Verses 20 and 23, wicked rulers who frame injustice by statute will come to ruin. And finally, verse 14 the theme of the song, the Lord will not forsake his people and he will not abandon his heritage. Let's join in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for all the psalms and we're always amazed at what we find as we study more deeply a particular psalm. And we do join with the psalm writer, and we pray for your judgment to come quickly, that you would punish the wicked, that you would destroy those who commit these crimes that are spoken of, that you would bring peace to our world and peace to situations, that you would turn rulers to bow before you and to legislate righteous laws, that you would punish those who persecute your people. And yet even as we pray for that, we 
Thank you that you have not left us in our sins, but you sent your son to be our savior. And that even now as Christians, you continue to discipline us as parents, uh, like parents who love, who you love us and you are looking to keep us on your path. We thank you for other Christians around us that can encourage us in righteousness when sometimes we want to give up. And Lord, we thank you that especially at times you have taken wicked people out of the way in, in wonderful ways. And we also thank you that when righteous people have suffered, sometimes you've protected them so greatly, but even times when they've lost their lives or been uh, har- seriously harmed and suffered great uh, problems, you have been there with them and you have acted in a mighty way, giving them a strength and a and a blessedness that is an encouragement to others in the future. We pray that you will continue to uphold us, Lord, because we're weak in ourselves. We thank you that you do love us as a father, his children. We pray for young and old here alike, that we may turn away from sin and walk in righteous ways, that we may know of your love and care for us, that you do not forsake us, and that you will not abandon your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn in the psalm book to sing the last uh, portion of this psalm, 94b, 94b, yes. And then following the singing of 94b, we'll have the benediction, and the doxology is 3b, uh, stanzas 2 and 5. Let's stand to sing 94b.